Hello? Victorious. Uh, how how is my, are you? Is my audio quality good? Or I can hear you perfectly fine. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I cannot believe that this has been almost two years in the making. <laughs> I say that because on March the 2nd, 2022, that's when I first met you and I did a podcast with you and it was maybe a day before you were having a show at Favo. Yeah. And I remember the energy at that time was off the chain. We got caught up. And so I said to you and to the viewers at the end of that podcast that we were going to do a part two. And here we are almost, almost two years doing a part two. Yeah, I. Uh, I would say that I have a certain kind of focus that makes it hard to remember. Uh, like. Uh, if I don't have it written down or in a in a schedule somewhere, it's hard to get. It's hard to remember things I don't see right in my. They call it a like a, they call it a working a working memory. So like things that you don't see, um, or you don't have like you know stimulus with. You you can't readily grab hold of the memory. It's like kind of lost to you until it physically appears again so that's my fault <laughs> no no it's no one's fault I want to number one congratulate you because in that two years did you not get your degree I did and would you mind sharing with everyone what your degree is in uh, my degree is in film so filmmaking I would say I would definitely say so we're going to touch on a few things and anything that you want to speak up on or share, feel free. So first, I want to say congratulations on your degree. And so I wanted to segue into your short film. Okay, well, which one? Oh, well, see, I think I'm only aware of crayons. Is there Are there others? Oh, uh, yeah, I... I... <laughs> Do you remember at the film festival, there was a film called Red? Oh, so you did Red too? Yeah, Red's, Red's mine. Okay, so look, I'm getting too excited. Let me slow my roll. And let's first talk about, well, okay, you brought up the film festival. So let's let's go there. Let's talk about how you came up with the concept for the Divergent Film Festival, and that kind of circles back to the Solution Collection. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I started the Solution Collective maybe 2011 when I was when I moved to Fort Lauderdale, or not Fort Lauderdale. Uh, when I moved to Orlando from Fort Lauderdale, when mm -hmm. I was first going to college, uh, when I was 18 or 19. Uh, I moved to Orlando thinking that Orlando would be better for art. And it's like, yeah, Orlando is better for art, but it's also just, it has the same problems in the sense that we, uh, 
the foundation of an artist is the community and the relationship to the community and the conversations that the art has with the community in that sense, you know? I didn't know it at the time, but I'm the kind of person that I don't have to have the full equation in order to get like really uh, a sense of the solution to the problem, you know? Okay. Like I don't I don't have to have every single variable that comes into uh an, an issue in order to understand what the issue is, you know? Um so I knew when I got here in Orlando that it'd be hard for me as an artist to do it by myself. So um I was doing a Sunday art market and that's where I met I guess the core members, Miles and um Miles, his name is Jamal B. Johnson, um, and Eve. I'm not sure what her what she goes by right now, but her name is usually her name is Eve Ills or Eve 360. And Eve had been there already for like her entire life. So Eve connected me to other people, and then we formed this group, and then we started doing exhibits together. But it was it, the first exhibit I I did maybe out of a coffee shop, we we put maybe 200 people in the coffee shop uh, one night. And it was an explosive event with music, art. Um, it was really good. I mean, I made the solution because I had tried to join a different collective and they basically treated me like I didn't have anything to offer. And when they finally had an exhibit, at City Arts Factory. Uh, City Arts Factory is popping at the time. It was actually, you know, I think you remember how City Arts yes, Factory. because I used to go there and I know many artists who have gone through there. And the E that you're referencing, is that the E that DJs? Yeah, she DJs. <laughs> oh, so you know what? This is a full circle moment. Because for those that may not know, my podcast art was done by Eve. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so Eve, no, I always say there are no coincidences, only synchronicity. So I don't remember where I first met Eve, but she did have an exhibit which was called Sojourner at uh, Bronze Kingdom, which at uh, that time, it was a mask. Yes, it was masked. And so she asked me and other people if we would be, quote, subjects. So she did a plaster of Paris image of my my face. And I remember while that process was going on, because we had always run into each other. It was always like we had never taken the time to sit and talk to each other. So during the process of her doing the plaster of Paris, we sat, we talked, we found out we had a lot in common, you know, that. Her parents were in the military. My dad was in the military. And it was like an incredible experience. And so when she completed the image of my face and then I saw what it became, I told her immediately I wanted to buy it. Yeah. However, the, the, the mask exhibit was at Fashion Square Mall. And then when Bronze Kingdom moved to I Drive, International Drive, it was there for like years and years and years. And then finally, 
I was able to buy the mask and the mask is hanging in my house. And that is the image of my past podcast art. And also the plan was that Eve was going to be the first guest on my podcast, but we did, we couldn't make it happen. So hopefully, because I believe she's going to be part of an exhibit in March and I'll finally be able to do the podcast episode with her, but, but, it's a small world, and that's yet another degree of connection that you and I have. How cool is that? Well, yeah, I agree with what you say about the uh, synchronicities, because I do think everything is, like, really vibration and frequency. And, like, you know, one of the things I feel like I learned since the last podcast is the idea of resonance, where it's like if more than one person is thinking the same thing, that thing is going to happen more likely, you know? Cause that's just how antennas work, you know. That's just yep. how if we're a bunch. If I mean, my theory is that we're all just a bunch of antennas receiving like radio waves and you know things from the sun. And the more of us get together, it's almost like you know the idea of church where everybody comes together, and now we're just one beacon, you know, for the for the the signal, <laughs> you know. So. Um, when everybody sings, especially when everybody sings in the same, like within a certain, you know, uh, scale, it's like you got you got high and low frequencies, and they're all just resonating the same, the same like uh, idea. But because there's more more people, the signal becomes more, uh, I guess, intense in that sense. So when I've been learning, what I've been learning about each project that I do is when I have people, I got to make them believe in the dream, you know? So, um, cause the dream is just a signal the, 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 you know, the vision, the dream, the, the prophecy, all of these things, they're just signals. So I have to get other antennas to be on my, on my wavelength to see what I see, or at least believe what I believe before I can even start the project, you know? So I think about that, uh, you know, in terms of like synchronicity, like Eve and Miles were the first people, almost like lieutenants in my army of, uh, you know, and also I really appreciate that these two people are not afraid of me, so. (laughs) (laughs) Look, you are, an incredible, incredible creative spirit. And I'm honored that I know you, that I connect not just with you, but what I'm calling next gen, next generation of artists, because I know artists who are are my generation, my age, which, you know, I'm like 66, but you're probably like half my age. And through you and Eve and other people half my age, um, you you guys are are allowing me to to view the world art synchronicity all these things music from a different point of view which is very important because i think it's important that we be expu- be exposed to art to music and so um again i thank you for what you have brought into my life just by knowing you and again like I said when we first met almost two years ago 
I was just like blown away. So, okay, you you talked about a lot of projects. Let's let's talk about I guess the film festival that you put together, which was at the Enzian that I attended. Okay. Um so um so this is the way that I feel like I could structure this is like okay film film degree and then film festival so because that's the timeline that I was I guess I was working with so in my I mean there's also a lot of self-discovery that went on throughout this process because this you know if we were watching this kind of like a movie it would be a coming of age story where you know the circumstances the environment and the uh like just the world is the antagonist rather than like the the i say antagonist as like the thing that is going to throw challenges at you is the world okay when you want to when you're the protagonist and you want to make something happen the world is the world doesn't like uh that kind of thing um i think i have a theory about it but i was i'll say it you know i'm sure i'll say it a few times over but the whole idea was that in my last year of college, I wanted to make a film. And I had talked to a teacher that really was open and read my script and was like, this script's not like the other kids around here. All the other kids, they just, I mean, not to make the comparison, cause I don't think that's a good thing. But the other kids, they kind of just wrote about, you know, things that weren't dramatic or like impactful or relatable in the sense that, you know, there's a certain kind of perspective that comes with film when you've been doing it your whole life and that there is a sort of like rigidity in what cinema is. And my mentor is an old school Hollywood girl. So it's like she's worked on films that were made in the 70s okay. and like when there was no digital when there was no like technology and in hollywood it's like a money-making machine so you know what we get is from a mentor is a really tough brutal truthful lady who told me my script was the best script she had read and that she would help me make this film possible. And so in my final, in my last year, I did that in a screenwriting course. Um, and that was my independent study was the film. So we had organized, I had organized a film raiser, a fundraiser for $5,000 for the film. And then I met the goal uh, by $2,000. So we made $7,000 for the film. And was and, that your first film, the one that's crayons? Yeah, crayons. Okay. So crayons, I mean, crayons, I had basically worked on the script and reworked and reworked with uh, my professor, and it was brutal. I mean, I mean, she was chopping a lot of stuff. <laughs> and it was up to me to let her chop what, like to trust her process, right. but also trust my own in the sense that 
she may not know exactly what my audience is looking for in the sense that she's a white lady, you know? And I'm writing this film with my inner child in mind, trying to tell a story about my inner child. But what I didn't realize was that what I was writing was for the kid that is creative as a child and has that skill and creativity and is starting to use creativity to solve their problems. And that's good for their soul, but then they go to school and then school keeps them from using the tool that they use to nourish their soul. So the soul gets hurt in that sense. It's like the reverse of, it's like reverse resonance, you know, whereas a kid would do well to meet other kids that are creative and challenge him to think in this way. School is the inverse of church. It's like, you can't, you, you can't resonate with people because there's this, there's this wiping of person. There's this, you know, it's like every day is a trauma at school. So you get a, you get. School didn't allow or aid you in your creative process because it's kind of like you're being forced to conform and there was no way for your creativity to, to, to show itself. Yeah, in my opinion, if you want to engage kids on a creative level, you will engage their intellectual center because like that's just that's just how humans are, you know, before we learn how to be, we are a certain way. And most kids, they tend to learn reflexively and creatively differently than most people. Okay. Um and you know, forcing rigid strict rules as a standard just so that they might fit in a world that we it's not even real yet like the only thing is now like the future the idea that you can take a kid and feed him a bunch of controlled information and say this is the world that you need to be prepared for it creates an image of that world you aren't allowing a kid to to create his own reality you've already created that for him so personally to me i have a lot of issues with historically the function of school and how school is basically just a manifestation machine for slavery so That is the theme that connects my two films. Whereas Crayons is about this little boy who learns to break that cycle of, you know, soul killing that the school teaches you. Okay. And actually manifest his own value of what a person should be or how he should be. And Red is kind of the direct version of saying I do not like I do not find slavery acceptable under any circumstance even though it's written in our constitution I disagree with the idea that the 13th amendment should be able to allow slavery under any circumstance it should be completely eradicated from our you know right from our 
our, our government functions. Like it, it doesn't make sense to to do that. You know, I agree with you. And so people may not necessarily be aware of the connection or the the logic of why you're saying what you're saying about the 13th Amendment. So essentially in the United States, North America, uh, in quotation marks, slavery was abolished. However, comma, during like Reconstruction era and, and since that time, um, essentially people who are in prison, okay, are engaged or are forced to engage in a form of quotation mark slavery because they perform different functions, either working for, for major corporations, growing food, turning out products for which they are indeed paid little, if any, money in exchange for their producing or for them producing these products. And it was a way during Reconstruction um, essentially to force people into involuntary servitude because there were all these Jim Crow laws that had to deal with loitering, yada, 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 whatever. And it was a way to imprison people, which is a form of slavery. So that's kind of sort of the backdrop so people can kind of follow along because maybe Everyone is not aware of that. And there is a wonderful movie, 13th Amendment. I think Ava DuVay did it. Yeah. One of the one of the critic one of the, the critical feedback that I appreciate was that uh not a lot of people may like, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of people know the thirteenth amendment as like just what it is. So I gotta put like I gotta put like a flash of the the actual amendment that you know the red the rapper is talking about um but basically that was the that was the foundation was the, the school to prison pipeline was like okay you know in the third grade privatized prison systems they are the same people that run the education system they have all the statistics that's why they stress these standardized testing um, and so they have all of, they they have all of the marketing information required to start a prison business. So they look at these statistics. They make their business. They 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 build they build prisons based on the amount of the literacy rate in the third grade. And this is something that when I was a kid was told to me, you know. Um, so that had a big effect on me because if I knew anything in my heart, you know, was right, it was not the fact that because I can't read, there's like a pre-made prison where I could go and work for pennies on a dollar and have things hyperinflated and sold back to me, you know? Like these are these are people that go and they work all day and they get like a dollar and they come back and then they buy like a pack of ramen noodles for like ten dollars. Yeah. So so to me that doesn't seem it doesn't seem right. And I have a lot of compassion for people, especially since one in three black one in three black people or black men will find themselves in that situation, which, you know, statistically I look at the numbers and I think 
this shit is racist. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm just going to very quickly, um, because I happen to have a copy of the U.S. Constitution, whatever, whatever. I'm just going to read what the 13th Amendment says, just to add more meat to the skeleton of what you and I are discussing. So it says, uh, 13th Amendment, slavery abolished. Section one, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And then section two, Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. And this was ratified in December of 18. So you you have hit the, the nail on the head when you say that for a lot of people of color, um, the school to prison pipeline, especially for young men of color, okay, that's been something that probably for the past three decades or more, yes, definitely, um, probably since, um, quote, slavery was abolished, has always been a part of our story. And then the privatization, when they decided that prisons were going to be run by private companies, entities, that also added to the scope of the problem because it's like the more people you imprison, the more money these private companies would benefit from. Yep, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and, uh, you know, nobody's doing anything about it. Uh, I think that it's because America's divided, but I also think that there's no real media involving, you know, the reality as as far as like representation is this this is what's important about representing everybody you know every person um in the media rather than just you know i mean not to say that white people don't have this fear or this this perspective but certain things i believe you know that each individual human projects their reality onto the physical world and that the physical world is bound by these spiritual like beliefs that we have. And so it's almost, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost magical realist in that sense or spiritual realist or animus realist or reservation realist in the sense of literature where because you are in a certain environment and you have a certain cultural idea about that environment, the rules are different than say, if I were a white guy in a big city, you know? Okay. If I, yeah. as opposed to me being a Native American or indigenous person on a reservation, my my magic is different. My, my spiritual world is different, which means my environment is also different. So things are made to be, children are forced to dictate their reality based on these rules in school, okay. you know? And so a lot of people are in prison because, because of school. I, I, I just see the, I just see the connection. No, not that 
I think, I think so, you're right. There is right. indeed. I mean, that's a phrase, you know, school to prison pipeline. I mean, that's a thing in the United States for a lot of people in other parts of the world. Uh, we we have more people incarcerated than any place else in the world. And so for people who either study criminal law or have a criminal justice background or who are attorneys, um, you know, there are different um, ideologies behind punishment, why you punish, the theories of punishment, you know, yada, 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 whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, my, my only reason of saying that was that that was just the period of life that, was, that I was in. I was in school and I didn't, like I was about to end, it was almost like I was about to be free. So I didn't, I didn't understand. It was, it was like I was, it was like I was, you know, not to make a uh, comparison that might be insensitive, but these are historically my ancestors. But it felt like, it felt like Lincoln had just freed the slaves and I didn't know really what that meant. Like, what does that mean? I've been on this plantation my entire life. Um, because that's just how I was always raised to be an academic. So when it came to the idea of me leaving school and being a part of the real world, I didn't know really what that was supposed to look like, but I felt like I was supposed to already have that memory or have that understanding about the world. And I was 28. 27 or 28, I think, or however old I was when I was graduated. Um, because I know I quit for this. I, I dropped out of school just for the same reason when I was in my early 20s, but mm -hmm. then not finishing, it started to bother me because <laughs> at the heart of it all, you know, my name's Victorious and I can't stand to lose. So like when I leave something, <laughs> when I leave something unfinished, it really bothers me. <laughs> wow. And so would you say that crayons is a little bit autobiographical? I mean, the, the, the boy is me, just like, you know, the, the boy is me in the sense that, you know, I wrote his personality with a certain kind of understanding that I was trying to talk, I was trying to represent people like me with my personality as a child. Um, although, that wasn't exactly my personality as a child. I think I was always an overachiever <laughs> as a kid. Well, you know, I think for a lot of people of color, that's that's part of our DNA is that, you know, we've been socialized to think that we have to be 10 times better to achieve the same as someone not of color. So I think that's a part of our DNA that we always strive to be more better, do better, be the best. Yeah. Just who we are. I want and with my name, it's hard to it's hard to escape that. Exactly. So growing up, did you find that your name was a hindrance or I mean people people uh you know, people bullied me for the for my name, but I also bullied other people, so I can't I can't say that it was something that I didn't need because, um, I mean, when you're a kid and you grow up 
in the hood and you excel the way that I always excelled, um, you know, having the name makes you a target because people assume that you think that you're better than everybody. Exactly, exactly. But I was always the kind of person who didn't think I was very special in any way. I was like, why do I have this name? Why don't I have a normal name? A normal name would be way more appropriate for me. Mm, Maybe not, because apparently your parents had other ideas. And so, you know, your ancestors, those who live on through you and your DNA, um, I think your, your parents maybe wanted to communicate to you you know, and I know that there's such a thing as um, ancestral trauma. Yeah. And so maybe they recognize that in you, you could be the one to to break free and and become who, in fact, you are becoming, which it appears to me you are indeed living up to your name. So see, maybe there was some reverse psychology. Well, I I definitely appreciate my name a lot more now that as I come to know the flaws in my process and in my self-perception. Whereas I was always really an overachiever. And and I had to make the film in order to really understand this about myself. Um, I always used to overachieve and every time I won I got a reward but it wasn't enough and I did that until I realized that nothing could satisfy me ever ever in my life the way that being unbothered would I mean being peaceful having my peace having no conflict having harmony these things, they really, you know, they, they kind of turn me on. So it's like, um, this is where I get all of my gratification from my life is having the ability to be, have peace and quiet and harmony and, you know. And so yep. you have learned <laughs> at an early age what some people never learn, Okay. But I learned it through divorce. So my when my parents got divorced, I realized that this is something, you know, there was a lot of a lot of things that went into that and I didn't realize it until I was thirty. <laughs> and that's okay. So the point is your your life, things that occurred in your life, things that occurred in my life, things that occurred occur in everyone's life. You you essentially get to choose one whether you're going to learn and grow from those lessons or two, whether you're not. And so you are so much further along in the development of self than a lot of people, even my age and older, who have never taken the time or don't understand about life, the journey of life, what it's meant to teach us if you Stand still sometimes if you have an open heart, open mind, if you're just open to receiving new information or or being in a space and place where hopefully every day you're learning something new. So many people are stuck, stagnate, 
I call it suffering from mushroom complex because, you know, you literally are in the dark. You stay in the dark. You're not trying to, to learn, have any light reach you. So you just are in this endless cycle of you're not developing, you're not growing, you're just barely subsiding or subsisting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's how it is if I, you know, I mean, the whole thing was that I thought that I was a certain way. I had a certain different self-perception of myself when I was making the film because I thought that I was something else. I did not understand that this was my priority was togetherness and harmony and peace. And that conflict really actually bothers me, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, um, when I have an issue with someone or if I have a conflict with someone, I get so afraid that it's going to destroy the connection between us if I just even go and talk to them about it. So I didn't realize that this is why I brought conflicts to people with such power. And, you know, um, because I have, I have a, a you know, what I would describe as a formidable will. So if I'm activated in a certain way, I cannot be stopped. It's annoying. <laughs> I can't even stop. It's annoying. I think, I think what I want people to take away, well, I want them to take a lot of things away from the, the discussion that you and I are having. But one of the things I want people to take away is that um, conflict and conflict resolution are skills. It's yeah. an art form. And it needs to be taught to people at a young age because most people don't know how to deal with conflict. And, and, and that is one reason, I think, or one way it gets manifested is through anger, engaging in actions which lead to that, quote, school to prison pipeline because people are not taught how to deal with conflict. And it doesn't always have to be that violence is the way. So no, you you are indeed through your art form, through your film, providing valuable life lessons in my humble opinion. Well, I, I appreciate that in the sense that I, uh, you know, even as smart as I was as a child, I, I was only as smart as what I was, as, as what I was able to observe. And the people around me, they just did not, handle conflict in the way they handle conflict in a way that allowed me to understand that if I got into a conflict with certain people, with anyone, that this might be the end of our relationship. And that is a scary thing because I love people and I want to hold on to people. If anything, I would stop everything right now. If I had the power to, I would stop everything right now if I was dipping into like the most unhealthy versions of myself that exist, I would stop everything right now and keep everything exactly the same and try to keep everybody around me in my life, you know, and not have these conflicts with people because I know that potentially every conflict I might have would, could, could destroy our relationship, but it's also, that is the lie, you know, because you need the conflicts 
in order to have the kind of peace that you that that I'm looking for. So I have to have the conversations where, hey, you know, you kind of stepped over my my boundary. Could you back up a little bit? And that has to be a rule where now that conflict doesn't kill our relationship because you respect me enough to respect the boundary that I set. Again, what you are saying, Victorious, these lessons, the things that you were saying are things that people sometimes never, ever understand, get a grasp of. There is a poem, and the name of the poem is People Come in Your Life for a Reason, a Season, or a Lifetime. Yeah. And so once you understand or grasp that, that sometimes you meet people and they're only there for the short term, okay? But there are those people that are going to be like your ride or die forever. And yeah. hopefully all these people come into your life to teach you something either about yourself, okay, that you have to learn, which that can be a frightening thing because, yes, people that we meet that come into our lives, they come into our lives, you love them, you want them to be there forever, but you and I both know that sometimes the energy of people can be toxic. Yeah. And, and if you don't know enough about yourself to say, whoa, something you said or did, you know, stepped over a boundary and I have to speak on it and how you choose to react to me saying, I don't appreciate or did not appreciate what you said, did whatever, you know, because everyone has, responsibility to speak their truth and to live their truth yeah so i wanted to ask you in crayons you you had a lot of crown imagery oh yeah oh well um so the kid manifested crown almost in the same like since uh i like the idea in like just african diaspora the idea of like adornments like you are going to elevate yourself by putting something on top of the head because it almost it almost like it almost speaks to the power and the leadership of the mind and the and the crown of the head you know so uh i really always like that i also like this idea of um from from either Plato or Aristotle, um, the idea of the philosopher king, where um, basically they're describing a leader that is so selfless and so wise that they are the ideal leader for a nation. Like they care so much about everyone that they would never make an immoral decision against any of them, kind of like a shepherd, you know? Um, and to me, that has always been something I felt was like, if we ever needed a leader to guide us into the light, it would be a philosopher king, a guy who concerns himself about, you know, the moral, the moral implications of his actions and not just, 
you know, short or long-term uh, goals of achieving and things like that. So the crown is basically in, in uh, you know, a representation of that kind of, I guess, leader. You can't deny a guy in the crown. It's like you can't deny him at all. You, he, you know, kings are chosen, you know. They're not, they're not, you know, if, if a king comes and takes a crown from another king, then they're like an adjective, they're like an adjective. They like no, like half of the population doesn't even respect them. But if everybody comes together and says, wow, that guy, he's super wise and he doesn't care too much about material things, his head is in the right direction as far as making good decisions, you know? In order to make these kinds of decisions, you have to be selfless as far as leading. And when I look at when I look at the 13th Amendment, and if I were a leader, I would remove this simply because I could not bear to see any of my citizens as a slave. I could not think of, I couldn't, I couldn't even, my manifestation don't work like that. It would have to work in the way of love, not in the way of this, uh, this fear, you know, this negative. So that's that. What I was, what I, what I was trying to do with the, you know, the crown imagery, is to elevate the image and the representation of the black creative child. I'm bringing out because to me, the black creative child as an image has been like kind of, you know, corrupted by media. To me, um, I mean media, education, being in Florida, you know, the creative child historically gets like attacked, shamed, you know, so. So can I ask you, did you grow up most of your life in Florida? I grew up most of my life in Florida. I lived in, uh, you know, I would say I lived, I moved around a lot. So I never really had too much of a, I had stability at one point, but I moved around a lot. So I moved from Florida to every state on the East Coast of of uh, the United States, ex I mean, underneath New York. So I lived in each place for maybe a month or so and went to school there and then got pulled out of school. It's like, don't make sense, but I guess that's that's what we're doing. But, um, yeah, I feel like I feel like that, you know, that had a, that might have had a hand in it because I I got to see other other forms of education, and absolutely I, other people thrive in different areas. So I always, even as a kid, I was never stuck there. You know, I always was aware of the different parts of the world where things were happening. So. And so, again, another synchronicity, you know, as someone whose father was in the military, I moved around a lot. And for me, it always taught me that one, people are more alike than we are different. And two, you get exposed to different people from different parts of the United States or the world, whatever. And hopefully what that does is it gives you a greater sense of who you are. But I just wanted to very quickly when we were speaking about the crown imagery 
when I first saw it in crayons, what it brought to my mind was Basquiat. Oh, yeah. And, and also like the crown chakra. So you kind of sort of spoke on it, like kind of sort of like the energy, you know, of it being like crown chakra. And so would you say that Basquiat was one of your influences? Well, Basquiat, as a visual artist, is probably the most influential like black artist of the 20th century. So everybody should be looking to Basquiat as like a guy because he he sourced all of his his imagery and his 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 iconoclasm was sourced from art history. So everybody should study Basquiat as far as his analyzing of icons iconography mm -hmm. you know? so yeah I, I i i feel like basquiat was a major influence in the sense that he was already doing something that i really wanted to do you know because uh because the art you know back when i thought that i was somebody else and i thought that i I thought that I was more selfish, but I realized that it was just the way that I learned to be out of fear of being who I was. So the idea that I value harmony, it only came to me like really recently, but I really thought that what I valued was being the most unique person on the planet, the most so it's like it's like that that feeling of that overachiever, but now it's directed towards me as a person. I have to be the absolute best person, the best individual, best unique guy. Whereas I only learned that from the people around me. That just you know that's not who I was, but that's who I would be because of my fear of losing connections with people. So I would think that this was my priority when I interact with someone, but in reality, that perspective, it, trying to be the best unique person, it separates you from everyone else because the only group you can be a part of and have harmony in is the group of people who don't like, they, they wanna be unique. <laughs> they, 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 they have this idea that there is no similarities between me and another person, which is not me. It's just not me. I learned that from someone. And when the threat of our relationship because of a conflict separated us, I became more like that person in order to keep the connection alive. You know? So part of that uh, part of my filmmaking process is whatever period of life that I'm in, that's what I'm writing about. And I, I have to because I can't explain it to people like this unless I go through that long process where I'm writing and analyzing and seeing people for who they are, seeing myself for who I am. So Crayons was a little bit of... I didn't know I was writing the person that I actually am. I thought I was writing the person that I thought I was at that time. But in reality, I wrote who I actually am. <laughs> Just a kid. Wow. 
make art. And I didn't realize that until I shot everything. I was like, wow, this kid doesn't like to do anything but draw. <laughs> <laughs> and with crayons at that, which is why it's called crayons. So I can see we're going to have the same problem that we had when I first met you when we knew we could talk for hours, but I'm limited to what? One hour per podcast episode. And we are already. I didn't. 52, we were... Yes. 52 minutes in. We haven't talked about red, which we need to talk about red. So I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to do a podcast episode number three. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I can do tomorrow. What's today? Today is the 29th, which is leap year, which happens once every four years. So the fact that you and I are having this discussion on a leap year day to me could be fortuitous. Okay. I think and so. You think so too? Yeah. I'm I'm sure. <laughs> See, look, I'm so excited. We're like talking over each other. Well, I uh, you know, to 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 summarize. Um, just to, just to know, I guess, to have more direction. I don't know. I kind of, I, I feel like I blabbed a bit, but the unveiling of myself, it happened through the process of writing, uh, crayons, uh, and realizing that this is who I am. And then when I'm, when I lost the connection with a family member, I realized that what I have always done was try to be, you know, like the person I looked up to when I lost the person I looked up to. And part of that admiration is connected to superstars like Kanye West and um, Michael Jackson, um, you know, lot like entertainers that have, they're, they're basically the black male image. Okay. Uh, I always grew up with my oldest brother as my favorite artist. And when the threat of our relationship, because we were fundamentally dis different people, I started to become more like him in order to keep him around for me. Um, so that was, that is red. That's what red is. Um, Ah, okay. And so that's a good segue for Red when we do the next episode because Red was like off the chain. <laughs> and Red has a lot of, in my humble opinion, is is very apropos, applicable to where we find ourselves today politically. Yeah, it's definitely uh, apolitical. Uh, so it doesn't have any right or left wing, but it's meant to be like a, a, a political satire. Because okay. uh, when I was a kid, I, I read this this story called A Modest Proposal, and I'm, this guy was just joking about eating the poor, eating poor kids as like a way to fix a hunger shortage in, in England, and I was like so blown away about just the the dark comedy that was happening hundreds of years ago during you know the industrial revolution and stuff so i was like really thinking about the time period after the pandemic and 
just the whole the whole MAGA hat situation. The MAGA yes, plus it it figures prominently in red. So see, this is this is what we're gonna do when we do part three. You're gonna talk about the inspiration for red. We're gonna talk. I mean, because literally, I was sitting there. I was like, oh my god! But all of the films that were in Divergent were incredible. And so maybe when we decide that we're going to do part three, because now we have maybe three minutes left, okay, um, you can give a shout out to those individuals. Yeah. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about when I was looking at some of the press releases or when you were talking about what it means to be neurodivergent. Yeah. So yeah. that if you thought you were rambling today, when we do part three, that'll be what we'll focus on. We'll focus on red. We'll focus on your inspiration for red. And you can talk a little bit about the showcase. Yes. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so I, I hope that yeah. I, I hope that I've set a good foundation of who I am and what I, I guess my priorities are as a creative, you know. <laughs> Exactly, you have. And so the other part of what I want to talk about in episode three is because I had a conversation yesterday with someone that you know who was at Divergent. Yeah. He was talking about how a lot of talented people, there's like a brain drain. They are leaving Orlando. Yeah. And so you too have now left Orlando. And so we can maybe touch on why that is, reasons for why that is like, is it generally that that as an artist you don't or did not feel that you were getting the support you needed from the artistic community? But hold that thought because that's gonna be part of part three. And so in one minute or less, what would you like to say to wind up? And I do wanna thank you so much. I mean, this has been, for me, this is the problem. When you and I get together, we can't can't keep it short and tight because we're all over the board. But I think what you say and what I say in response to what you say is relevant and people need to hear it. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, well, I, I'm i uh, what, what was the question? I was just going to say to you, any last minute remarks you want to make in like a minute or less and then when the recording ends, you and I will talk about when we think we can get together and do a part three. Uh, well, um, you have to understand that I really care about people. It's like, and getting people together. And sometimes I may say things that ruffle people's feathers and I may engage people in a way that may seem uh, not tactful at the time, but I'm a genius. I'm sure that most people have heard that I'm just wired in a different way than most people. So um, I want people to understand that my intention is really always getting people together and having some kind of better understanding for each other through my work, you know, so. That is perfect because we are now almost at the end. Thank you. I will give you a call right back. Thank you so much, Victorious. And thank you for everyone that's listening. Stay tuned for part three. Thank you. Thank you.
Bye.